Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22 for our scripture reading today. We'll be reading Matthew chapter 22, verse 41 through 46. And you can open up uh, your online bulletins and follow along with the sermon outline as well. So Matthew 22, starting in verse 41. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Not from that day, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. If you were to give the year 2020 a name, you might have called it the year of arguing. Everywhere you looked, it seemed that someone was arguing with another person. Now, some people love a good argument. It stirs up the blood inside them. Getting into a fight makes them feel alive. Other people, people like me, for example, are not exactly thrilled when I come across a verbal argument. I do not get excited by the verbal fight. I used to be much worse when I was a younger man. Whenever an argument came along, I used to look for the nearest piece of furniture to climb under. Today, I realize that arguing is part of any kind of leadership role. If you are a leader, people are going to argue with you. That is just reality. And arguing was certainly a reality in Jesus' life. Last week, Pastor Travis preached from Matthew chapter 16, in which the disciple Peter boldly proclaimed that Jesus was Israel's Messiah and King. Soon other Jews also said that Jesus is the Messiah. By the time we reach the events of Palm Sunday in Matthew chapter 21, the crowd in Jerusalem that had gathered together for the Passover holiday were all shouting at Jesus, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowd then thought, Jesus is our Messiah. The religious leaders of Israel, however, were not so sure. They thought that Jesus was a fake Messiah. And so they asked Jesus a series of hard questions in order to trap Jesus in their words, in order to get rid of this fake Messiah. They asked Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. They asked Jesus about the resurrection of the dead. And they asked Jesus about what is the greatest commandment in the law. They asked and they argued with Jesus because they did not believe that Jesus was their Messiah. But Jesus answered every single question they asked in a way that escaped from their traps. Finally, after they had finished their questions, 
Jesus turned around and asked them a question. Whose son is the Messiah? Jesus asked the question to them in a theoretical, academic way. He is not telling the religious leaders directly that he is the Messiah. He is just asking them about what the Bible says, about whose son the Messiah is. But in answering the question, it is the religious leaders who will be trapped. And my hope today is that as you answer Jesus' question from Matthew 22, that your heart will also be trapped. My hope is that you will be captivated by the greatness of Jesus as we answer the question of whose son the Messiah is. We see, first of all, in Matthew 22, that the Messiah is the son of David. At the close of Matthew 22, the Pharisees are all gathered around Jesus. They have finished asking him their questions. And so there they are gathered around Jesus in verse 41. And so Jesus then asks them his academic question in verse 42. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Jesus is directing the religious leaders to the real issue that is causing them to argue with him all the time. The issue is not taxes or the resurrection or the law. The issue is the nature and the identity of the Messiah. And the answer to this question about the Messiah is found in the Bible. If you want to know the answer to any question about God and his work in the world, you need to turn to the Bible. The Pharisees knew their Bibles very well. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah in 2 Samuel 7 and Isaiah chapter 11 and Jeremiah 23. All the prophecies gave the same answer about whose son the Messiah is. And the Pharisees knew the correct answer, as we see in verse 42. They said to Jesus, the Messiah is the son of David. The fact that the Messiah is the son of David was confirmed by Matthew himself in the very first verse of the gospel that he wrote about Jesus. So if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 and listen as I read how Matthew opened his gospel. There in Matthew 1.1, we read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. And the Messiah, as the Messiah, whose son is Jesus? He is the son of David. The Messiah is a direct descendant of David. And so let's talk a little bit together about who David was. What was David's job in the Old Testament? What did he do? He was the king of Israel. In fact, he was Israel's greatest king. There was no king like David. David loved God with all of his heart. And when David was the king, God blessed Israel greatly. He blessed Israel with victory in war. He blessed Israel with liberation from their Philistine enemies. So a thousand years after David, along comes Jesus. 
And there were all of these prophecies in the Bible about a Messiah who would come to Israel that had the people excited in Jesus' day. Why were the people so excited about the coming of the son of David? We have a saying today, like father, like son, that helps explain to us why the people greatly anticipated the arrival of the son of David. If the Messiah is the son of David, then he will be just like David, Israel's greatest king ever. After all, like father, like son. That meant that the Messiah would be a human king. He would be Israel's king. He would liberate Israel from all of their enemies. In Jesus' day, those enemies were no longer the Philistines. They were the Romans. And the Jews of Jesus' day couldn't wait for the son of David. They couldn't wait for Israel's promised human king who would liberate Israel from the Romans. At least that is what they thought that their Messiah would do. And that means that when the religious leaders set their eyes on Jesus, they looked at Jesus and they said, you are no king. If you were a king, you'd have an army behind you. But you don't have an army, so you can't liberate us from our enemies. Therefore, you are not the Messiah that we have been looking for. In a few minutes, we are going to see that Jesus asked the Pharisees a second question about the Messiah in verse 43. And that second question of Jesus is going to reveal to the Pharisees that their understanding of the Messiah is not wrong. It's true that the Messiah is the son of David. That is correct. But the title son of David is inadequate to understand all that the Messiah is. Yes, the Messiah is the son of David, but he is so much more. You need to understand that if you're going to properly grasp who Messiah is. Because Jesus is greater than the son of David, the Pharisees did not recognize their own Messiah when he was standing right in front of their faces. The Messiah that they had waited for and anticipated all of their lives was close enough to touch, but they pushed him away. They rejected Jesus because he did not look like the human liberator of Israel that they expected him to be. Can I ask you something this morning? What do you expect Jesus to be and do for you? When I speak to different Christians, I get different answers to that question. Some think that Jesus is supposed to be just like Santa Claus. Jesus is supposed to give them a bunch of gifts all of the time and make them happy all of the time. Others think that Jesus is supposed to be like a vending machine. You put your prayers into Jesus and out comes at the bottom answers to all of the prayers for everything that you ever wanted. Others, when they think about Jesus, they think about Jesus 
like the Jews in Jesus' day, thought about the son of David. Jesus is supposed to liberate America and keep us safe from all of our enemies. Now, is there some truth behind these expectations of Jesus? Yes, Jesus does give us good gifts. Yes, Jesus does answer our prayers. And yes, Jesus does set Christians free and, and keep them safe in anxious times. But I hope that all of you can see that all of these expectations of Jesus are completely inadequate if we're going to understand Jesus properly. Jesus is more. Jesus is greater than you could possibly think of him. Jesus had greater purposes in mind when he came to Israel than just to be a liberator of Israel. And I don't want you to miss Jesus when he comes near to you. Because the Pharisees expected a liberating king like David, they had no category for a Messiah who would be despised and rejected by them and die on the cross for their sins. But that is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus set them free not by killing Romans. Jesus set them free by paying the penalty of death for their sins so that they might have eternal life. And he did the same thing for us. Yes, Jesus is the son of David. Yes, Jesus is the king. But he is not just the king of Israel. He is the king of all who have faith in him, who trust that his death can liberate them from sin and death forever. Jesus is the one who sets us free. But he does all of these things in ways that we do not expect. So don't try to cram Jesus into your expectations. Otherwise, you might miss your Messiah. That would be a horrible tragedy. The Messiah is the son of David. That's true. But beyond that, the Messiah is also the son of God. Jesus agreed with the Pharisees that the Messiah is the son of David. And in Matthew 22 and verse 43, Jesus asks a question to help the Pharisees to see the implications of the fact that the Messiah is the son of David. He asks, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Do you see what Jesus is getting at here with his audience? He is saying, if the Messiah is merely the son of David and nothing more, why then does David himself speak of the Messiah as his Lord? David was the king over Israel. There was no human authority whatsoever above David. He was at the highest point. And yet David clearly believed that his son, the Messiah, was greater than he was. We see what David thinks of Messiah in Psalm 110 and verse 1, the verse that Jesus quotes in Matthew 22 and verse 44. David had written there in Psalm 110, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, when David wrote these words that are found in the Bible, these were not just David's words. They were written in the Spirit according to Jesus in verse 43. And so the Holy Spirit himself inspired David to write these words. These words, then, are God's truth. And what did God say through David? He said in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord. The first Lord in this verse refers to God. God is the one speaking. And he speaks to the second Lord, which refers to the Messiah. So what does David call the son of David in Psalm 110? What does he call him? He calls him my Lord. The Messiah is David's master and king and sovereign. The Messiah is above David the king, even though David is the greatest authority in Israel. But how can this be? Jesus himself points out in verse 45 that David is calling his son, the Messiah, my Lord. Normally, all human fathers have authority over their sons. But in Psalm 110, David is clearly saying that his son has authority over him. David's son is his Lord. Now notice how the Pharisees respond to Jesus' question about the Messiah in verse 46. No one was able to answer him a word. What had Jesus done? Jesus had just blown the Pharisees' minds. They had no answer for what he was saying. The Pharisees had all agreed with Jesus that the Messiah was the son of David. How then could the son of David be the Lord of David? How could the son of David have authority over David, his father? That made no sense. The only possible explanation that made any sense was that the Messiah had to be more. He had to be more than just the son of David. The Messiah had to be greater. In fact, the Messiah would not just be the son of David. Messiah actually had to be the Son of God. Here's another mind-blowing truth from Jesus. The Messiah has two fathers. The Messiah is not just the Son of David. The Messiah is also the Son of God. And if the Pharisees had been paying attention, they would have seen that Jesus, their Messiah, was the one that they were looking for. They would have seen that Jesus is the Son of God. Turn back with me in the Gospel of Matthew to Matthew chapter 3. Let's see what happened on the day of Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. There we read, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, 
with whom I am well pleased. And so what happened on the day of Jesus' baptism, God himself spoke from heaven. And what did God say about Jesus? This is my what? This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. In a public place, God announced to the world that Jesus was his son. And God was pleased with his son. The verse that Jesus quoted from in Psalm 110 also makes it clear that the Messiah is the son of God. Where is the Messiah seated? According to Matthew 22 and verse 44, where is the Messiah seated? Where does he sit? At the right hand of the throne of God. Now, someone who sits at the right hand of a king is seated in the position of highest privilege and highest authority. There is no greater authority than the one who sits at the right hand of the king. In this case, the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. He has a privilege then and authority that is second only to God the Father. Jesus is then the Son of God. That is Jesus. And so in his future glory, Jesus is saying, after he had died for our sins and been resurrected and then ascended into heaven, he would sit at the right hand of God, ruling over all things by his authority, ruling over all of his enemies. Okay, we interrupt the sermon to ask the question, okay, so what? What does it mean for me that Jesus is not just the son of David? Jesus is also the son of God. What does it mean for me? What difference does it make that Jesus is also the son of God? Well, I'd like to explain what difference it makes by telling you about something that happened to me this week that helped me to realize that I have truly made it in this world. See, I am a person who loves basketball. I love to watch it. I enjoy it. And the truly great players in basketball are known by only one name. You don't need to know their last name. You just need to know their first name. And so in the 1980s, there was a player who was pretty popular in this area whose name was Larry. You didn't need to know his last name. He was just Larry. And his rival at that time was Magic. And then in the 1990s, along came Michael. And then in the 2000s, along came LeBron. Well, you didn't need to know the last names to know who we were talking about when you just used the first name. Well, in the mail this week, I received a package from the Maine State Credit Union. I brought that package, a picture of it with me today. And I want you to take a look at who it's addressed to. Glenn. Okay, it doesn't say Pastor Glenn. It doesn't say even Glenn Peterson. It's just Glenn. Everybody knows who Glenn is. Glenn is just that special. He's known, he's made it. Can I tell you someone else who is special? 
If you are a Christian, believe it or not, it is you who is that special. Let me give you some more mind-blowing truth from Jesus that has to do with your identity as someone who is part of Christ's church. We have seen from Matthew 22 that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, ruling over the world with all authority. And Do you know who Jesus is going to rule the world through? Do you know who that is? That would be you. Let's read out loud together from Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23. Let's read together. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God will put all things under the feet of his Messiah, Jesus, the son of David. And Jesus will be head of all things to the church. Jesus rules over all things for the church. We are going to reign with Jesus. We are going to rule over the new heavens and the new earth. We will rule on his behalf, by his power, under his authority. We are going to be kings and queens. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but usually nobody knows the last names of kings and queens. There is Queen Elizabeth today. Her last name, there was King Henry VIII in days gone by. Nobody knows his last name. You just need to know the one name. And the same thing is true of you, Christian, you are a future king or queen. Everybody in heaven knows your name. They're waiting for you to rule in heaven under Jesus. I told you, this is mind-blowing stuff. Some of you might be thinking, really? Me? A future king or queen? Why would Jesus, the Son of God, want me to rule with him? Here's another mind-blowing truth that sometimes we Christians forget. Jesus really loves you. Really. He loves you very much. Look again at what Ephesians chapter 1 says. Put the verse up again, could you, Matt? I appreciate that. Look at what the verse says about Jesus and about you. Jesus is called here the head of the church. And what are you then as the church? You are what? You are Christ's body. Okay, Jesus is the head. You are the body. Now here's the question for you. How much good is a head without a body? Now, I'm not a doctor, but here's what I've learned. When someone has their head cut off, they are dead. They have no life. A head must be united to a body in order for both the head and the body to have life. Now, I am not suggesting today that Jesus needs you. He does not. Jesus needs nothing. He is God. He made everything, and if he wanted something, he could simply speak it into existence. 
But what I am suggesting to you this morning from Ephesians 1 is this. The body and the head are one. A body must have a head. And you cannot think of a head without a body. Just like a groom is not complete without a bride, a head is not complete without a body. How much then must Jesus love you? Unless Jesus is united to you, he considers himself in some measure imperfect. He is not complete until he is one with you. But when he is one with you as his body, you fill him up, who fills all in all in the universe. Can you see then? Can you see how much Jesus loves you? The one who fills him, he loves you deeply. Jesus then asked the Pharisees a question one day. Whose son is the Christ? The simple answer was, well, the Messiah is the son of David. But Jesus went on to blow the Pharisees' mind. Jesus is much more than just the son of David. Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of God himself. As the Son of God, Jesus rules over everything in the world. And one day, he will rule the world without any opposition. And he's going to rule the world through you in the church. You will be his beloved kings and queens ruling alongside him under his authority. This is absolutely mind-blowing. So don't ever go back to underestimating Jesus like the Pharisees did. Don't say to yourself, well, Jesus, he's just the son of David. Jesus is just this. Jesus is just that. Don't ever say that. Jesus is always more than you think he is. Jesus is always greater than you think he is. Jesus is the son of God who loves you so much that he will rule the world with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, how grateful we are to know that you are the Son of God. How grateful we are to know that you are greater than we could possibly think or even imagine. Help us to remember that. Help us not to underestimate you, but to remember how great you truly are. Pray that you would encourage those who are discouraged today. Pray that you would help them to know how great your love for them is. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love. Thank you that you are the Son of God. Amen.